Hey everybody, it's Pastor Dylan. Welcome to the Dayspring Wesleyan Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take the time to download our church app. It's the best way to stay connected to the life of the church. All you have to do is go to your app store and search for Church Center, download and enter the information for our church. You will then be connected to our church community. I hope the following presentation inspires you to move closer to God in this journey we call faith. Enjoy. Good morning, church. I want to uh, just make you aware of a couple of the other announcements that we had uh, several mentioned there. But uh, next week is really a big week for us. And uh, we know that uh, we're having like uh, 12 baptisms next week. And so if you're one of those baptisms, we need you to either email uh, the church office this week or call the church office. And we didn't want to set up a time to do a video testimony because that's something that we're going to be doing a part of it. And then it allows us to put it online on Facebook so you can share with your you know, family and friends about the decision that you've made for Christ, which is going to be unbelievable. As part of that, uh, next week, we also told you the ordination service. We're having that evening ordination service again for those of you who may not know is we come behind like the pastors of uh, somebody wanting to study for ministry. Um, they felt the call of God. They now are in a pastor position. They've been dealing with other pastors in the denomination. And now those pastors want to basically echo sort of their um, uh, ability to be called. And so they come around them and, and do an ordination service. And then they go from the title pastor to really a title of reverend as well. And so uh, our own Pastor Dylan's going to be in that service next Sunday night. It's going to be at 6. We told you our general superintendent of the Western Church, which is what we have one of, he's going to be here that night to preach that ordination service. But because he's coming, we asked him if he would do the two morning services. And he's agreed to do that as well for us. So it's going to be pretty exciting to have him here and have him be part of everything that's going on. So, uh, you know, mark that in your calendar and plan to be here. Uh, second thing is this. We've been talking about our Philippian study that we're doing. It's a four-week study that we're going to do. And um, uh, we have sign-ups out there in the lobby. Uh, this is part of a small group effort we do. And so we have, I think, almost 200 people already signed up. We'd love to have some more of you sign up. Uh, but what we're going to do, be doing is for four weeks, you'll be sitting at a table with um, eight to ten other people. Uh, you'll be doing a study together. You'll be having um, some video segments. You'll be discussing it. And then you'll be discussing part of the message uh, that we had that morning as well, because that's going to all be tied into it. Uh, we're going to have food beforehand, so this is a great time for you to get to know some new people in the church, some people you may not know, like just sit around, mingle, and, and talk to other people, and then you'll be in that smaller group for the remainder of the time. We have something for kids, and we have something for teens as well, so there's no excuse not to come. Love to have you be a part of that. And then the last thing, sorry, my eye is itching all of a sudden, so maybe I'm crying a little bit too much, or I don't know. Um, the, other, the last thing is this. Uh, every week you'll be given a bulletin, but some weeks you can't make it or you may lose that on your way home. Uh, we've made sure now that the bulletin is online as well. So if you go to dayspringwesleyan.org, go to our homepage, you'll be able to find the bulletin. That'll have a lot of the information you need for the whole week. All right, so we are doing our second um, week on basically John 3, 16. So that's where we're going to start today. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to John chapter 3, uh, we're starting with verse 16. We're going to go through 21. Uh, hopefully, uh, all of you did well on your 316 challenge this week. I just found out from uh, one of the ladies in the church. She says, I'm not very tech savvy. She said, so I, I put my stuff in. And uh, she said, then when I was in a fast food line, um, my, uh, or no, she said, when I was passing a school, my alarm went off and I didn't know what it was for. And she said, and I couldn't figure out how to turn it off. And then she said, then she got in the drive-thru line and it kept going off again. And she was apologizing later. She's like, I don't know how to turn this alarm off, you know? So anyway, so I doubt she'll ever forget 
what John 3.16 is all about for her, you know? So we want to challenge you again this week because we're going to be into it another week. Uh, what I challenge you with, if you don't have this verse memorized, please try to commit it to memory this week. So set your alarm. You can even do it now. But set your alarm for 3.16. Every time that comes up, just try to recite that verse. And even if you already have it memorized, go ahead and say it again because I want you to understand the love of God. And I want you to be able to say, for God so loved, and it's the world, but you really should think, for God so loved me that he gave his one and only son. And so that's why we wanted to do that challenge. And so um, I hope this has been good for you. I hope you've really committed it to memory. But you have to know this too. John three sixteen is one of those fundamental, pivotal verses that I think all of us need to know. Matter of fact, some people believe that it's such a powerful verse that they went to extremes to make sure that people know about it. So when I was growing up and I used to watch those football games on TV online, I'd always see a guy and he'd be holding up a sign, and on that sign it was like, John 3.16, right? Uh, there are some companies that have gone out of their way to make sure that that verse is there. So for any of you that shop at Forever 21, if you find the bag that you get, you'll find at the bottom of that bag it says John 3.16. Uh, we don't have these, I don't think, around here, but if you've had time to travel and you've been to an In-N-Out burger, um, on the bottom of their cup they have John 3.16 because they believe it's that important. And then if you grab a Gideon Bible and you're in a hotel room, what you're going to notice, once you pretty much open up, you're going to find over 20, um, uh, 20 different languages of John 3.16 in there. Because what they want to happen is, they believe it's so pivotal, that if you at least open the Bible and you speak another language, hopefully you'll be able to read at least that one verse and know that God so loved you. So last week I talked about a lot of the things that I'm for. This week, I want to give you a little bit of an introduction to the word love. And love is such a powerful word. But it's a word I think that we can use flippantly sometimes. You know, especially if you're a young guy and you're trying to impress a girl, you might say, I love you, without really ever knowing what that means. But love is such a powerful word that it allows us to uh, do and, and, and experience crazy things all out of that idea of love. Uh, love is such a powerful word that if you've ever seen um, different proposals of people, you'll notice that like some ways that people express their love is, I mean, it's just so sweet. And then others can be kind of funny. And then honestly, others are just downright scary. Okay. And so I was looking just different things up of how people propose. And I, I read this one great story and, and I loved it because this one, this one girl, she said she just loved puzzles. And so this guy wanted to propose to his girlfriend, so he decided for Christmas he was going to get her a puzzle. And I'd say, I love puzzles too, okay? But he got her a puzzle that was all white. All right? And that's just me, okay? Because those kind of puzzles, I don't want anything to do with, by the way, okay? I just, I can't stand it, but she's, I guess she liked the challenge of them. I like where it's so evident that this puzzle piece needs to go here. You know what I mean? Because it's just quicker that way to me. All right, so she had this puzzle that was all white, trying to get the whole thing done, and then there was one piece missing. And she had spent almost that whole sort of Christmas experience day putting this puzzle together, and she was so excited. But there was one piece missing. And then, I love this, because he gives her the piece, and it basically on that one piece said, you're my missing piece. And then he got down on one knee, and he said, will you marry me? Man, how cute is that? You know what I mean? Just adorable and sweet. You know what I mean? 
Like, I remember when I proposed to my wife, and some of you were there, I tried to do something I thought was just fantastic. My, my wife, you know, she sings up here and leads worship, but in the old sanctuary, she was singing a special, and I wanted to propose to her, and I used to run the sound, so as she was singing, I kept messing with her mic, and it was going up and down and stuff, and there was all kind of problems, and so sometimes when stuff messed up, I would literally have to go up on stage and fix something real quick, and so I went up, and I, I took my wife's mic, and I took off the top, and I had the ring in there, you know, and then I got down on a knee, and, and I proposed to her, you know. Now, you would think that was, some of you were like, oh, I saw some of you, like, oh awesome. Um, I don't know what I said, though, because I, I, I was so nervous, I was just making things up. And I think somebody said, get on with it, you know, type of thing and stuff. And so, uh, but luckily she said yes, and then she finished her song, <laughs> you know, and then, and then uh, we went out and celebrated afterwards, you know. Um, so there are some of those sweet, sort of adorable moments. And then there are those things that I think are just funny. And maybe some of you guys have those where it didn't go right. You know, there's one guy, they said, um, and again, it was at Christmas, so I might be trying to tell you, don't get engaged at Christmas. All right, that, that might be the, the story of this. But basically, this guy decided that he wanted to, um, he bought one of those boxes, like, of the Advent calendar chocolates, and he had it specially made. And every day, there was another chocolate in it, but then on one of the days, I don't know if it was Christmas Eve or leading up, but it was, it was pretty late in, he decided to put a ring he had the ring put into that box so that when she pushed open that box that day, they, this ring would come out. So he was all excited. Well, here's what happened. The girl was getting sick of the chocolates. And so she was in the day 20-something, and she got real sick and, and actually threw up the last day of the chocolates. And she's like, I don't want any more of those chocolates. And so the guy all day was pleading with her, come on, just open one more. You know, and she was like, no, I, I'm, I'm not... No, I can't stand another one of those, you know? And so I don't know if this guy took it as a sign, but the rest of the family came to eat that day at the house, and they all knew about it. And so they kept trying to look at her finger to see if there was a ring, and there was nothing, and they couldn't figure anything out. And he kept trying to get her to open one last chocolate. Then all of a sudden it hit her. Oh, my goodness, he's trying to propose, you know? And so then she opened it up, and then it became, you know, kind of funny. And it's like, oh, man, when this thing's backfired, it's kind of crazy. But then there's like... The crazy, scary people who propose, okay? And I was reading this one guy. If I could give you the name, I would, but I couldn't pronounce the name. But basically, this one guy came up with this concept, and he literally got somebody that was a movie director. He got a special effects person. He got somebody that could do a little bit of acting for uh, teaching some acting. And then he had a, a makeup specialist. And he decided to do this whole sort of with special effects, this whole crash scene in which he dies, then his fiance comes to the accident and sees her lifeless boyfriend's body laying there. And she begins to cry, and then he gets up and says, will you marry me? Okay? Now, <laughs> that is just crazy and scary. And the craziest part, she said yes. Okay? And when they asked him why he did this, is he said, well, I wanted her to know what it would be like if I wasn't in her life. And then I, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, that's, that's just the craziest thing ever, right? I know for sure if I would do that to my wife, we would not be married. You know, be like, that's it. So, yeah, so you have these crazy things. And as I was thinking about some of these stories this week, I was thinking about really when we get into John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world. And I have to tell you, when you really get into that sort of whole story, there is this definitely this sort of um, cute sort of this appreciation about a God who just desperately loves his people and would do anything for them. And then to some degree, there's part of the story, and maybe you don't always react this way, but it just seems sort of 
funny to me that God would die for those of us in just different situations. And then at the end of the day, it's almost kind of crazy when you think about everything that he went through to display his love for you and me. The idea that he would put himself on a cross, the idea that he would be beaten and that he would, be blood, that he would bleed out, the fact that he would be embarrassed and rejected and made fun of, and then take the weight of sin on him. Like that's kind of a crazy, kind of a scary kind of love that God had for you and I. So let's read um, from 3.16. We started there last week, but let's read through that, and then we're going to get through verse uh, 21. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again for your word. And to think about how many times that one verse, John 3.16, has been said over and over again. And the impact that it's had on the world and then us as individuals. We thank you for the way that you have revealed yourself to us through your word. And then through you coming here on earth as well. Living amongst us, Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, Father, for letting us see that love, letting us know how we can make it in this life now. We pray that you would be with us in the service. We thank you for commitments that were made last week, 14 salvations. Amazing. We pray that the same would be experienced here today as different ones who may not have asked you in their life would do that today before they leave. I pray, Father, is there anything that I would get wrong in the interpretation today? I pray that you would speak into the hearts of people so that yours is the only voice that they would hear. So clean what I say up in their ears so that yours is the voice. In your name we pray. Amen. So before we go into today's passage, I wanted to take a look back at what we were looking at sort of the last couple of verses in last week. So we're looking at verses 14 and 15. And it says this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. Now that passage we talked about is obviously very interesting because um, the part where they're talking about raising up the bronze serpent is basically an Old Testament reference. And so I apologize because if some of you don't know the story, I would say go back and look at it a little bit. But let me just give you the brief sort of outline of it. The people of Israel, they were, God was getting them to the promised land. He was providing for their needs. And in the process of providing for them would provide manna. Manna was this sort of sweet bread-like taste that they would have. Uh, it was good for them to eat, but they, they grew tired of it. Because it was the same thing day after day. It was the same provision day after day. And they began, it says, to grumble against God or complain against God. And they literally, if you break that translation, they would say, we hate this stuff. That's how much they grew tired of it. And it was almost as saying, God, the very thing that you provided for us, we hate it. And that God from that, you know, was upset. Why would something that I provide for you, why would you begin to hate and grumble and complain about it? Don't you know that everything I've done for you along the way and you're still going to complain about the littlest of things? 
And so it says that God sent sort of these fiery serpents that were venomous and poisonous. And as they would bite uh, some of the people of Israel, they would grow sick and then they would die. And it was thousands of people that would die from this. And so as a result, then the people began to call back to God and they wanted to say they're sorry. And Moses went to God and God said, look, if these people want to live, if these people want to be healed from this poison, he said, I want you to craft a bronze serpent and I want you to put it on a pole and I want you to raise it up. And whenever people get bit and they have poison in their body, if they look at that serpent, then they will be healed. And so we discussed this a little bit last week because the whole craziness of this story is a couple things. First of all, the serpent would have represented the devil. And so why would you ever want to put the devil on anything? Secondly, they had already been told in the Ten Commandments, which Moses was the recipient of that, to not create a graven image and then bow down to it. And this is almost what it seemed like God was saying to them. And as I explained last week, I said, sometimes you and I have got to come face to face with our sin before we can ever be forgiven. And they needed to look at that and understand that this is because of their sin, this is because of their grumbling, this is because of their disobedience, that they have to look at this serpent image. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment, understand the impact of what he's going to say to us later. First of all, those who were bitten by a snake and those who were poisoned would have to come to the place where they admit that they've been bitten. That they have to come to the place where they admit that there is poison in my body. That they have to admit that if I continue to live like this, I will, in fact, die. And so they had to come, first of all, realization of admitting that there is a problem, that there is sin. Secondly is this. Then they had to have a belief that if I look up to that serpent, if I look up to that pool, then I may be healed. And there was some action in that, wasn't there? So it's from admitting to believing to looking. And then they were healed. And then Jesus said to, to Nicodemus, just as... Moses would raise that up, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. And by the way, that word lifted up really means to be put upon a cross. And I think it's interesting for some of us to note because there's songs that we sing from time to time that says, uh, you know, to be lifted up, to be lifted up, to be lifted up. You have to understand that you're saying, I want Jesus to be put on the cross, to be put on the cross, to be put on the cross. I mean, that's really what the term biblically means. But we sometimes are thinking in sort of another aspect. But he said to be put up on the cross just like Christ. And what you have to understand is this, and it was, just, it, was, it was just so easy to understand. You and I, just like the people of Israel, need to understand that we all were created as sinners. That we all have fallen short of God's glory. And that we all have this poison and disease in us that we will eventually die from. The only way that we can find healing, the only way that we can find eternal life is to what? Is to believe that what Jesus did on the cross and to come face to face with our admittance of sin, that we believe that what he did on the cross was enough. And some of you need to hear that more than anything else. Because some of you try to weigh your sin against the cross. Some of you will say, well, I can't be forgiven because I have this much junk or I have this much sin. You have to understand that the power of the cross was enough. 
that you can believe in that cross and you can experience eternal life through it. Just like the people of Israel, just as they were healed from their belief and from their action, you too can be healed with your belief and your action. So let's get down into verse 16. And verse 16 and 17 says this, and I think that really the two go together, and I love it, because it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then this is, man, this is just such a powerful verse along with it. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through and the reason I think that's so powerful, and this is what I want you to understand, God sent his son to love, not to condemn. You see, Jesus came to show love, and he displayed that love in such an unbelievable way. I mean, he put himself on the cross, bearing the weight of sin for you and I. As a matter of fact, like some of us think that, well, you know, Christianity is really hard, and I think that he's going to point out all my mistakes, and I think he's just going to condemn me. Listen, that verse says he didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. He came to love you. Matter of fact, if he came to condemn you, all he has to do is walk around and say, ooh, not living so well, boom, you're dead. I mean, that's it. Like when he comes down to the earth and he looks at this place, he's like, oh, this is a bad, wicked place. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna breathe and you're all gonna just kill over. You know, like that would be his thing. You know, some people don't wanna come to church because they feel like they're gonna condemn me. We are not going to condemn you. We have all been there. And if somebody does condemn you, they already have an issue themselves. You know, we are a place to love. Jesus was in there to provide love for people. He didn't come to just destroy people. He didn't come to kill people. He came to love them. Why? So in order that they might be saved. And one of the things I've realized, and um, just going through the, the time I've been here on earth, I feel like that in our world, we've become a little bit more sensitive to just stupid things. Like, we get our feelings hurt almost too quickly. And it's interesting to me because, like, you can speak to your kids and you can try to fix some things up in your life. And, and as you're talking to your kids, and you're like, well, I, I want you to do this differently and I want you to be careful of this. Uh, kids think, oh, you just hate me. You don't even care about me. You, and they start to name all this wicked and evil stuff. You know, it's, it's interesting to me, like, when I was on a, a, a football team and the coach, I mean, I'd have on a helmet, but the coach did one of these things where he would take his whistle all right, and he would, he would hit me on the helmet with it. And that thing would ring in my ears, you know? And he'd say, Osborne, I want you to do this. You know, and I, I've seen kids today say, my coach is so mean. He yells at me. He does this to me, you know? And they're all like, he doesn't even like us. I'm quitting the team. I don't care anymore. Like, that's kind of the place we get to, right? You have bosses that'll call you in from time to time. Teachers that'll call you in from time to time. And they'll sit there and they'll say, this is what we need to do. This is what I want you to watch out. This is what I want you to be careful of. And we respond so negatively and so poor to that because all we think is they don't care about us. They don't love us. They just want to see us destroyed. Now listen, think about it. If I as a parent didn't care, I wouldn't pull you into a meeting like that. I would just say, forget it and condemn you. If a teacher didn't care about your studies, they wouldn't pull you into a meeting. They would say, this is just a waste of my time. I don't mean to meet with their parents. I don't meet with their people. I'm just done. If you had a coach that didn't care, he would just basically cut you or he'd sit you on the bench. 
and say, you're not going to be involved in this drill today because you're not good enough. But here's the thing. As a parent, I so love my kids enough that instead of condemning them, I want to save them. And so here's some things that I think you should fix in your life. If we understand that a coach really loves the team and he wants to win, then we'll understand that he's trying to make us better. Otherwise, again, he could just get rid of us or cut us. But in order for the team to be better, he knows that he needs to make me better so he'll spend time on me. A teacher looks at a student and sees the potential and sees the amount of work that they need to put into somebody. So they'll pull a kid in and say, here's the things that we need to work on. And where you think that they're just belittling you, you understand that that's just then a waste of their time. But maybe they just care enough that they want to make sure that you do the right things because of their love for you. You see, Jesus loved us in such a way that he said, yep, here's some of the rough edges, but here's the things that I want to fix because I want to save you from total destruction. And I think that that is powerful. And I have to tell you, even as a parent, there have been times when my kids have come in and said, Dad, and they'll mention some things that I've done wrong. And there's part of me that could just be like my kids. They don't love me. They don't care about me. And and what I have to understand that probably what they're saying to me is, Dad, I want to respect you, and I want to love you. And here may be a couple of things that from time to time you need to look at. And if I look at that, man, it can be for my betterment than anything else. Jesus loves you enough that instead of condemning you, he might speak truth into you so that we can clean up some of the rough edges of our lives. We get then go on to verse 18, and it says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You know, there seems to to me to be this sort of um, sort of a a coin where there's one side or another. You know, you have you have the sort of the face of the coin, and then you have the back side of the coin as well. You you have the heads and tails, and it seems like just to some degree that that there's sort of this. You know, is it heads or tails for you? And some of you will come to the place that you'll understand that I need to have a certain sort of belief and I need to have a certain sort of commitment. And I want you to understand that that word believe in this passage is more than just belief. But that word actually means commitment. And so I believe this, I believe commitment is the key to salvation. Because there is a general set of belief that we can have. You know, we we mentioned this in James in the book of James, it says, James says, look, you, you believe in, in, in God, great. Even the demons believe, and then they shudder. That's the response to it. And we said that for some of us, like, we just have this belief in God, but it goes no further. And so belief is, is a little bit stronger. It's a belief in God that is a commitment to God as well. It's about opening ourselves up and saying, God, whatever you want me to fix in my life, like that's what I'm committed to because I know that you love me and I love you, so I'm willing to listen to those words. You know, it's one thing for me to say to my wife, like, I believe that you're the woman for me. But it's another thing to be committed to her. Because belief in it will just say, well, I believe that we're supposed to be together But if I don't show some action behind that, if I don't work for that relationship, then that relationship will 
will fall away quickly. There's a sort of commitment level that my wife and I have for each other that says, look, we know that there are going to be some hard times. We know there are going to be some rocky things that we have to go through. But at the end of the day, we're committed enough to each other in our love that we're just going to work these things out. That's a commitment level. There's a commitment level, I believe, that when you have kids, that you can say, like, yeah, that's my child, but it's another thing to be committed to them. It's another thing to say, look, I'm going to make sure they're cared for. I'm going to make sure that they're fed. I'm going to make sure that at um, at a certain time of age that they're going to be able to do some things on their own so that when they get on their own, they'll be able to take care of themselves. Like, there is a lot of commitment in that. But it's one thing to say, you know, I just believe in my kid and I hope in him. But if you have no action with that, it's going to happen. They're just going to falter. It's one thing for you to say that I believe that this is the job I need to be in, but it's another thing to be committed to that job, to be committed to learn from and to change some habits or some ideas and, and to be able to just really stand in that. Like there's a different level of that. And the two-sided coin could be one side. You could say, well, you know, I believe in God, but are you committed to it? And if you're not committed, what does it say? This isn't you're already condemned. You're already condemned. And you and I probably understand that realization that we have been created with sin in our life, but if we don't come to the place where we believe in Jesus and we begin to be committed to him, then we're always going to be condemned. And because that's sort of the place in life that we've chosen. Commitment is the key to salvation. Verses 19 through 21 then go on to say this. This is the verdict. And it's really a continuation where we're just talking about sort of the two sides. And eventually you've got to make a decision which side you're going to be on. But it says light has come into the world, talking about Jesus, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. They want to be exposed for who they truly were. And it says everyone who does evil hates the light. It will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And so then it says, but whoever, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. It's interesting to me, again, that we sometimes, like, like we, we say we want this new belief. And we say that we want to be Christians, but we don't want the junk exposed. And so what we find in life that it's easier to walk in darkness than it is the light. You know, I don't know how many times I've explained this to first service, but man, it's amazing to me, like when you go in a hotel or even in your own house, the difference in mirrors and lights, right? You guys ever have that? There are some mirrors and like the dimness of the light where some days I walk in, I'm like, you look good. Man, it's a good day for you. Good hair day, everything, you know what I mean? And then sometimes you get those like really bright lights and those mirrors that just like, they just show everything, and all of a sudden you're like, man, I got a rose, no hair, nose hair going out there, you know, like, we need to take care of that. Or I got some eyebrow that's going a certain way, or I got some blemish that I need to take care of, you know. And, it, and it's always interesting to me because it seems like my wife notices those things quicker than I do sometimes, depending on which mirror I'm in. And then she has to point out, you know, you might want to take care of that uh, eyebrow there, you know. You yeah, one going this way, like, let's get that. And then I hate it because she'll pluck it. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, like... But it's funny to us what can be exposed. Like all of a sudden, we may not realize sort of all the junk and the bad ways that we look. And some of us are comfortable with that because it's easy. It's easy. It's easy to live in darkness. But listen, if you and I live in darkness, 
and we don't get eternal life. The hard thing for us is to have this sin, to have the junk exposed and the light. But if we open ourselves up to God and we are committed to him, there are things that he's going to reveal. And there are things that we're going to have to change and understand that he's doing this. Why? Because he loves us. Like there are things that get opened up to me and it says, well, I need to treat things differently in the world. I need to love differently. Chuck, you can't keep acting the same way you're acting. Like these things need to be exposed. Why? Because of my love for Jesus and it'll change me and hopefully it'll change the people around me. Like there are things that the Bible says to us that are very clear. It's like, here's the way you should love your enemies. Like when the rest of the world says hate your enemies or lash out against your enemies, he says, I want you to love your enemy. And that's, that's, that's flipping the coin to the other side. That's reacting and responding differently. Instead of like lashing out against my enemies and, and those who persecute me, he says, pray for those people. And I'm always amazed at the way prayer changes me and my heart towards other people. And we just had this sort of, <laughs> um, we did a birthday party earlier for my son because uh, his birthday's in October. He, ne- he never gets to have a pool party, so he went to have a pool party. So we said, let's celebrate now. We had all these kids come in, and man, it was great. But let's be honest. There's a couple kids that just annoy you, you know? And they were walking around doing some super annoying things. And I have to tell you, like, the old Chuck would be just like, hey, dude, knock it off. But the new Chuck is like, I don't know this kid's story. I don't know where he's coming from. And I think he just needs some love and attention right now. And isn't it cool that he has a safe, comfortable place to be in right now? That's a different, that, that, that's God changing my heart. That's not something I could do on my own. But that was God making a change, revealing something in light that says, these are your stumbling blocks, Chuck. These are the things you need to be careful about. And in my love and in my commitment for Christ, I'm willing to open up. Why? Because I want to be changed. You know, and I have to tell you, sometimes it's overwhelming, the change that he wants me to experience. And sometimes I feel like a complete failure. But that's why the cross is so important. Because what he did on the cross was enough. And some of you might want to point things out. You say, well, Pastor Chuck, you don't understand about all this sin and all this junk and all this. Then you don't understand the power of the cross. Remember the Apostle Paul? This guy was out to get Christians. He was persecuting them and he was watching them be killed. And then he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And it changed his whole perception. And he started preaching about the love of Christ. A man that was killing because of Christ is now loving because of him. If a man like that can be forgiven, you can be forgiven. Because that's the power of the cross. At the end of the day, you make the decision. Do I choose darkness or do I choose light? You get to decide what you step into. And the verdict is simply this. We choose, at the end of the day, what we love. You either love darkness or you love light. That walking in light may be hard to deal with at first, but at the end of the day, it becomes real easy because it's what offers us eternal life. I want you to stand with me this morning, and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And just another one of these acts of grace that he gives us to just remember fully what he did on the cross but I want you to just close your eyes for a moment because I know that there are probably some of you that are sitting in the service today and you're feeling a tap on the shoulder or a nudge 
from the Holy Spirit that says, hey, it's time for you to make a decision of what you're going to love. And today you may need to make that decision to love Christ because you feel impressing upon. If that's your decision today, if you want to say, Pastor Chuck, I, I, I want to look sin right in the eye and I want to admit my sin this morning and I believe and I want to look to the cross for healing because it's what he offers me and you want to experience that healing today. If you would just raise your hand, I just want to pray with you this morning. Got it over here. Thank you. Got it here in the back. Thank you in the back. Both of you. Thank you. Thank you over here on the side. Got both of you. Thank you in the back. Thank you up front here. Thank you. And I just want to thank you up here in the front. Let's pray together. Father God, it's like six or seven hands in this service and four in the other. And for those who have raised their hand this morning, we simply pray this, that I recognize that I am a sinner, that I have some faults, that I fall short. And so I confess with my mouth right now that you are Lord. And I believe that when you put yourself on that cross, that you took my sin upon yourself so that I may be forgiven. And so today, as I admit my sin, I look at the cross for healing and I believe and I'm committed because you are doing a work of my life. And I pray that each and every day will be a new step with you. That each and every day the devil tries to remind me that I'm worthless, that I'm junk, and that what I did wasn't real. I can say, no, 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 no. The cross was enough. And he's still working on me. Father, we thank you for those commitments this morning. And as we begin to take even communion this morning, may we understand again and recognize the grace that you have provided. Father, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Once again, thanks for listening. If you are in the Marion area, we would love to engage with you at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fantastic children and student ministries, visit us at dayspringwesleyan.org. That's dayspringwesleyan.org.